the men's group and one of the great proclamations in progress is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom the fear of the Lord and I've been really meditating on that for a while and contemplating that and um, fear is a good thing we forget that God is sitting on the throne we forget that he is the king we forget that he is the master we forget that he's the judge and that's an important thing for us to to get our arms wrapped around in fact he tells us that that's the beginning of our true wisdom is to fear him that's not something that should be taken lightly that we just blow off and say ah well that was that was back then now we don't fear we just have this you know great cool relationship this you know this this friendship with the judge of the universe uh, and we have to be careful with that we have to be very careful with that i remember my my dad and uh, a long time ago having a conversation about how you know we did a lot of things together we did a lot of things that were kind of friendship things with sports and and having fun and that was good He's, but he reminded me at the time uh, but i'm your father and at that time i was you know struggling a little with respect and thinking that you know maybe i was uh, ready to to take the uh, the reins and in a very gracious way he reminded me not so young man um, and as we turn to ephesians chapter 4 uh, just reminds me that you know we're 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 on a team we're, we're on team jesus and right now the beginning of football season starting and you know for some that might not mean anything to others it means the world right um you got the nfl but you've got college football and you've got these people who are called fans you know what fans short for fanatics and you know maybe if you've watched a game or seen people in the supermarket and they paint their faces and dye their hair and you know according to the team colors i've seen people here with their houses painted like the seahawks mm -hmm. you know they got flags in front of their house they're different things around their house or it's like that's okay that's you know you're you're a fanatic mm -hmm. yeah that's um and so you know fanatics um you know they pick teams they have teams and the the thing is you you can only be a fanatic for one team i mean you can't be a fanatic for two teams uh, it just doesn't work that way it, it, it's one team just one team um and maybe you've you know grown up rooting for a particular team and um, you know, you lived in a certain area, but then you grow up and you go to a different college and, and now your, your heart is tied into that college because, you know, you, you've been recruited by a different team. You, you grew up wholeheartedly all in with this one team, Team Wicked, and you were all in, baby, and you did all the things that Team Wicked did. But then you got recruited, and the recruiting process is a is a 
a fun and interesting process if you've ever been involved in that. And it's like people are, are coming to you. They, they want you, right? And they're, they're trying to win you over and get you to go to their school, to be on their team. Well, Jesus came to us. Jesus recruited us. Jesus picked us to be on his team. But the thing is, is you can't still be a part of other teams. Uh, you, you, you're on a new team now. And you need to be fanatical about Team Jesus. And we lose sight of that. And, and the world plays into that. And Satan plays into that. And, and you'll hear the things, well, you know, we can all be united. Right? We can all be united. Doesn't the idea of being united sound so good? Oh, we're all united. We're all on the same page, all on the same team. The problem is we're not all on the same page and we're not all on the same team. And so the reality is it's a myth. It's an absolute myth. Worse than that, it's a lie. It, it, it's a lie to say that we're we're all just going to be united together. Oh, the person saying that means that. But what they mean is, I want you united together with all your different beliefs and all your different teams. We're all going to unite together under my team. That's what they mean. That, 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 that's what they're saying. But, but they say it in a way that makes it think you can, you can be who you are, how you are on the same team that you've grown up with and been a part of. That's okay. We'll all come together. We'll, we'll all come together with our different colors, our different hats, our different jerseys. But like some of the traditions of some teams that I played for, the first thing you did was you took your old hat off and you threw it on the ground and you burned them because you're not a part of the old team anymore. And we got new spirit wear and new jerseys and new hats and they're all the same color and they're all the same. And they're my team. Um, and you're a part of my team. Well, that's, that's the reality of, of, of what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches exclusivity. There is only one way. It's just honest about it. Everybody else is lying. Everybody else is lying when they say, no, 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 we're, we're, we're all the same. You can have your different belief systems. I mean, basic logic tells you that two opposing views can't both be right. You can't tell me that going right lead, leads you to heaven and going left also leads you to heaven. No, there's one road. There's one way to the Father, and that's through the Son. And you better have the Son right because every basic false religion includes Jesus in their narrative and they have a different definition of who Jesus is. So we have to have the biblical definition. And so when we talk about things like unity, we have to be very careful that we don't just have this idea of, well, yeah, can't we all just like coexist, have our different beliefs and be united together? The answer is, no, unequivocally, no. 
That does not work. That is not a biblical belief system. When you see united, what you're instantly going to see is united around what? United around who? How are we united? Because it's not just willy-nilly anything goes. We call that chaos. And so today we're going to look at an, an application of what unity is. We're going to see how unity looks in the body of Christ uh, in three ways. We're going to see a consistency in walking in a manner worthy of the calling. We're going to see the characteristics of walking in the manner worthy of the calling. And then we're going to see the cause for walking in a manner worthy of the calling. So we're going to look at these three elements so that we know what unity looks like, biblical unity, and how biblical unity actually works. And anything other than that becomes a great lie and deception. One of the one of the ways that Satan fools and tricks people is getting them to think and believe in the wrong thing and that that wrong thing is the right thing. I mean, it sounds kind of basic, but, but if Satan gets you to think that, you know what, you're a part of a religion, you're a part of a belief system, you're a part of a faith, then you're okay right where you're at. Don't change, don't move, you're good. So all the different religions in the world that are even meeting today and the ones who don't believe in, in, in Jesus Christ, all those people are, are, are going to die and go to hell. Well, that's exactly what Satan wants people to, to be at that spot, thinking they're good fans, that they're fanatics for their religion, but they're on the wrong team. That, that should break our hearts. We, we, I don't say that lightly. But if you believe in heaven and if you believe in hell, which you should, because the Bible clearly states that, then if you believe in heaven, then you know there's a hell. If you believe in heaven, which you like to talk about and proclaim, then you know there's also a hell. Why we don't talk about that is a very odd thing. Why we don't warn other people about the fear of the Lord so that they don't end up in hell. We're joking today about, you know, the signs with the bikers, right? And it's like, hey, what if there were these signs that actually led the bicyclist to go off a cliff? Well, if you cared about him, if you loved him, no, you would actually have all the signs that would warn them not to go off the cliff, all the signs that would guide them so that they would be safe and protected, right? Well, that's what the Bible does. And, and, and for us to, to not direct people to the, 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 the law and the precepts of the Lord is to let them, to usher them, just go on, go to hell. Just, just keep going that way. That's not love. That's not kindness. Um, and so the Lord tells us, hey, here's, here's how we're supposed to, to walk. And so Ephesians 4.1, last week, remember, we, we looked at, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord entreat you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. We looked at what that phrase meant, that, that walking is the, is the way you conduct your life, right? It, it's the way you move in motion throughout life. And in the manner is that manner of which the mode 
that, that you live. Uh, we've been saved by grace. We've been adopted into the family of faith. We, our mode now is that of Christian. Okay, we don't operate as me, as the individual. I don't operate as, well, I grew up on, on this team. No, I'm, I'm now a part of, of Team Jesus. I'm a Christian. That's my mode. That's the manner that I walk. And then being worthy of, of the calling. We, we, we've taken this free invitation, this invitation that, that frees us from the condemnation of sin that frees us from the pit of hell. And so we're called to walk then in a manner that would be worthy of being set free from hell. And so we're directed on how then we're supposed to live. There's a, a lot of companies will have, you know, th this is the, the Disney way. This is the, for the Baltimore Orioles, the Oriole way. This is, you know, I was leading a school. This is the, the Mustang way. It's like, this is our way. The, these are our guiding pillars, our guiding principles. You know, for Disney, it was, you know, to dream, to believe, to dare, and then to do. Uh, Disney, Walt Disney was not just a dreamer. He, he had crazy, wild dreams that were at the time unfathomable. You know what I want to do? I want to have like a theme park that, you know, where people, families come and are on rides. And it's like, well, you know how much that would cost? I mean, the, the money for that was astronomical, but, but he had a dream. Um, he, you know, he dared to, to not just dream it, but to do it. And then he did it again. Even more crazy was he did it in Florida and he bought out swampland. It was cheap. <laughs> it was swampland. But in his vision, his, he had this dream. He's like, well, I'll turn the swampland and we'll redesign the swampland and we'll just fix it. And he did it. Well, we have dreams and goals and we have things that we, we you know, think about. But are we doing them? Are we putting our feet to action? Um, there's a lot of self-help books. There's a lot of motivational speakers. Um, and for us, ironically, bef before we, we had Team Jesus or we're called Christians, they just called them the way. They, they didn't, they, they, in, in Acts 9-2, it's like when people are identifying those people over there, well, who are, they're, they're part of like the, the, the way. What way? The Jesus way. But the Jesus that tells both sides, the Jesus that tells that there's a heaven and, and you can have the forgiveness of sins, but there's a hell where there is condemnation for those who do not repent. So how do we then live? How do we apply this? How do we apply this uh, application of, of unity? Well, the first thing we do is we see that there's, there's a consistency in walking in the manner worthy of the calling. We, we can say it, we can study it, but are we consistently doing it? So the, the Bible, you don't, you don't see like a, the phrase, here, here's the Christian walk, right? 
you, you just see it embedded over and over and over again throughout the pages. And so I was looking at like some, here, here's just some, some six, six um, ways that, that we could kind of, you know, set that are like, this is how we then should walk. And the first one is the Christian walk involves Christ likeness. The Christian walk is not to be like your daddy. Oh, my dad was a good godly man. I want to be like him. That's not the Christian walk. That's not Christ likeness. Christ likeness. I want to be like my pastor. He's, you know, you know, I really like that guy. No, that, that is not the goal. Well, I've read, you know, there are these theologians and these, these scholars. No, our goal is to be like Christ, like Jesus himself. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. Paul says, you guys, you follow me as I follow Christ. Again, directing everybody back to Christ. Our, our goal is to be like Jesus, not like anybody. We make that mistake a lot. And you know what? I, there are people to be admired and there's people who are mentors and there's people who are disciplers. Uh, we love parents who raise us in the Lord. These are good things. These are great things. But, but our A1 mentor and our A1 desire is to be like Christ himself. 1 John 2, 6 says, Whoever says he abides in him then ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. It's his team. It's his rules. It's his playbook. We do it his way. The difficulty is so many times it's like, well, yeah, I like his way, but can I just sprinkle in a little me in there? Because I, I think I got some good ideas too. No, you don't. You, you, you don't. You're self-centered and egotistical. And, and every time you, you elevate yourself, you do so while pushing God down. You may not say it that way. And you may not think it that way. But that's what you're doing. And we have to be on guard for that. That we're not trying to be like any man. Repent of that. Don't, don't be like men. They, they will fail you every time. This is why when, when pastors fall, it's such a horrible thing because so many people unfortunately put too much faith in that man. Your faith is not in that man. I will do my best to, to never um, honestly not disappoint you or my kids or my wife, but I don't want to disappoint the Lord. I, I fear the Lord. First and foremost. Um, but I, you know, I could accidentally look at you a certain way and hurt your feelings. I, I could say something. You might see me driving down the street and wonder why I'm driving 56 and a 55. And don't, I mean, who knows? There's a lot of different ways to disappoint people. Um, but I'm not the example. It's Christ. The second way to walk is to walking involves righteousness. It's not just that Jesus was a nice guy, which he was, and, and was patient and kind and loving and gentle and meek and all of those. Yes, but, but the Christian walk 
involves righteousness. Romans 8, 4 says God's purpose that is that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. We're, we're not to live according to the flesh. We're, we're called to live according to the spirit. It's a high calling. It's a very high calling. We're called to live in perfection. First Peter 1.16 says you're supposed to be holy. Why? Because I'm holy. Well, that's a high standard. Yeah, it is. That's our standard. But that, that, I can't do that. But that's the team Jesus standard. You've heard that saying, you know, practice makes perfect, right? No. Perfect practice makes perfect. Practice just makes permanent. You practice it wrong, then you're going to permanently do it wrong. The calling is to do it perfectly. That's our calling. Our calling is to live righteously. We're called in Galatians 5.16 to walk not by your own flesh. You can't do it in and of yourself. You, you need and require the Spirit of God to, to be in you in order to be able to do this. And then we have a tension where we, we fight that. We're, we're fighting God in that we want to live in the flesh. He wants us to live in the spirit. Well, we're called to be righteous. The, the, the Christian walk involves that, that, that desire to be righteous. Not in the things that we say, not in the arguments of theology, in the things that you do. Nobody cares what you know or how many bible verses you can quote or what your theology is if you don't live it you you, you have to live it it's that old adage you know your kids are going to learn from what's caught not from what's taught and oh how true that is um, any parent can attest to that 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 doesn't always work out the way you would hope because they see everything right so they catch a lot of the bad stuff and they don't hear all the good stuff. Well, the third way we see is a Christian walk involves obedience. Look, you need to listen to your instructors. You need to listen to your mentors, your teachers. They're there to help you succeed. That's their motivation. You know, I, I'm around tons of kids and, you know, they're always talking about, you know, unfair coaches. Coaches want to do one thing. They're the most, you know, objective people at the field. They're the only ones, all they want to do is win. That's all they want to do. It's really simple. They don't care about all the little individual piccadillies and your hair color and how nice you are or your mom's cute. Or They don't care about any of that. They just want to win. That's all they want to do. And so when you don't play, it's because they don't think you're good enough. Maybe you are, maybe not, but in their estimation, they're going to put the best team out there because they want to win. So when they tell you something, when they coach you, again, it's, they're not saying it. They're not getting on you because they don't like you. That has nothing to do with it. They want to win. Same thing with the boss. The boss doesn't instruct you because he doesn't like it. He, he wants the job done. He wants it done right. He wants it done as fast as possible. And in some cases, he would like you to get the job done without killing yourself or anybody else around you. Fair? 
So, you know, if he barks at you or instructs you, it might just save your life and you get the job done too. But there's reasons why we're given instructions and the Christian walk involves obedience, not just to a boss or a teacher, but obedience to God. We need to obey God. In 2 John 1, 6, we show our love for God as we walk in obedience to his commands. I love Jesus. I sing songs. About, I write songs about loving Jesus. Yeah, but do you do loving Jesus? Do you walk by obeying his commands? Well, that's hard. Yeah, it's hard. But that's the command. Our walk involves, there, there's, there, there's many paths that we can travel and, and many of the paths are very, very harmful, but we have to stay on the path that leads to life. <coughs> Psalm 1611 tells us that God's commands direct us away from harmful things. Well, this also involves number four, the Christian walk involves faith. You, you have to have faith. You have to trust that this book is true. The, look, the only reason you should read this book is if you think it comes from God. Otherwise, do you know what this book is saying? Right off the bat, it's saying, hey, a lot of people are going to hell. <laughs> what? I don't like that. That's mean. That's not in there to be mean. That's in there to warn you, right? But this book is, is, is saying there's sheep and there's goats. Um, that's not touchy feel good, right? At the end of the last page, oh, everybody gets, everybody's in. No, that's not how it goes down at the end, is it? Um, so, so, so this book involves me believing that there's a God of the universe the God of the universe, the absolute moral law being, who's the only one able to create absolute moral laws. That's why we're struggling right now. What's an absolute moral law? Well, I don't know. Whatever you think, whatever you believe. No. The absolute moral law being who made everything says, this is what's absolute. This is what's right. This is what's wrong. I'm going to put it in my book and you need to follow. And then by faith, we believe that. But that's by faith. What's faith? Again, Hebrews 11.1. 1, the assurance, the, the, the assurance of things not seen. I, I didn't see all the pages of, of God speaking to people. I didn't see that, but I'm sure of it. And, and my assurance comes in the conviction of the things that I hope for. So I'm sure and, I'm, and I have conviction. That's faith. Man, that faith sounds pretty serious, doesn't it? Yeah, it's not just again, you know, we're, we're, we're not like, you know, dancing in the lily fields here. I'm, I'm sure I, I am going to stake my life on this book. And so I'm going to follow it. I'm going to stake my marriage on this book. I'm going to stage my kids lives on this book. I'm going to stage my relationships. I'm going to state uh, everything that I'm about in my life based on this book. For me, that meant walking away from business. It meant walking away from, from you know, the pursuit of just making money. It meant that I'm going to fully devote myself to following this book. And this book screamed and yelled and called out to me. You know what you need to do? You need to take what you learn and go teach others. 
because that's what the scriptures were telling for me. And that was my spiritual gift and my calling. And so in obedience, I follow. And I do this through faith, through faith. Well, the fifth way we see this Christian walk is in, involves a new way of thinking, a new way of thinking. Romans 12, 2 says you need to conform, transform, and renew your minds. We conform our ways to Christ. We, con we, we conform. So now I'm going to follow this way of Christ. I'm going to transform my entire life. How? By renewing my mind. So a man thinketh, he liveth, right? I got to change the way I think. I think like the world. I think like a sinner. I, I think like, like Team Wicked thinks. I need to think a different way. You know what fun is? Not that. This is the direct list that this book says leads me to hell and destruction. That's what this book says. So I don't do this stuff. I need to conform now to this stuff. This is what the Bible says I need to do. And I need to transform my entire life. I need to take off the old gear, the old jersey, the old ways. And I need to be on the new team all in. All in. 100%. It's an entire new way of thinking. We follow Christ. We put away the old way and embrace the new. Well, the sixth way we see Christian walk involves a fidelity to the Lord, a fidelity to the Lord. The Bible describes our relationship with, with, with God, not only as a father, son, or, you know, father, child, but also in a marriage relationship. And, and there's nothing more sacred in, in that relationship than, 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 then making sure that, it, that it's pure, making sure that it's faithful. The Bible mentioned Israel over and over again, how she, how she was an adulteress, how she cheats on him. She's not faithful. Israel was not faithful. People were not faithful to God and God alone, to God and God alone's teaching. They played the harlot. They followed other gods. They followed other ways. It goes back to, well, yeah, I've got my team, but these teams, uh, you know, it's, it's, they, they have neat jerseys too. They have cool hats too. They're having a better year this year. Things are going better for them. Um, no, you have to be faithful, faithful. The Christian walk is, is a faithful walk. And so in order to maintain genuine unity, real unity, biblical unity, this is what we rally around. And then we must consistently, that means over and over and over again, devote ourselves to this walk. We, we must apply it. We must do it. Now, will, will we stumble? Will we fall? Will we sin? Will we make mistakes? Yeah, we will. But you know what? You get back up and get on the path. You, you find yourself, and, and these things happen slowly, you know, sometimes, where all of a sudden you're, you're on the wrong path. And, Whoa, wait a second. It's never too late to start doing what is right. When that happens, you repent and you get back on the path. You repent and you get back to God's Word and get that instruction.
Well, the second application we see to unity is found in, well, what are the characteristics? What, what do some of these characteristics look like? Well, verse 2, this is how this looks. So, so we walk, therefore, in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called. How? Well, with all humility, gentleness, patience, showing forbearance to one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So how do we do this? How do we apply this? Well, it begins with humility. You have to humble yourself. You're not that great. You're not that great. If you're not sure, just, you know, at a nice, sweet moment when you think things are perfectly awesome, you just look at your, your kid or your spouse and go, how awesome am I? And then after they laugh, um, you can get the truth. You know what? We're not that awesome. We need to humble ourselves. We need to, again, walk like Jesus. Philippians 2. We, we repeat Philippians 2 all the time because it's, it's a foundational verse for us. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Easy to say, not easy to do. Don't do anything from self-centeredness, from thinking of yourself. Some things, most things, anything. That, that's a task. You're not supposed to do anything where you're thinking of yourself first. You're supposed to have the attitude which was that of Jesus who, although he exists in the form of man as the God-man, humbled himself to die for us, not just die. It'd be one thing to have, you know, like if you're watching a, a Marvel movie or something like that, it'd be this amazing, spectacular death and, you know, lights flashing and all kinds of things. And it'd be this massive glorification and epic battle and all that. No. He was a, a, a humble carpenter who rode in on a donkey, allowed people to spit in his face, curse him to his face, ridicule him, hang him on a cross in a torturous death. He humbled himself. What did that look like? Doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with a humility of mind regarded others, us, as more important than himself. That's our path. That's our goal. Be humble. Be humble. Think of others. Do you realize in Proverbs 6, you can turn with me in Proverbs 6 real quick. I was mentioning this the other day to the, to the guys that when I first came across this, it, it, it rattled me as a young believer because it's like, oh my word, this is like me. This is like a description of me written 3,000 years ago. There are six things that the Lord hates. Repeat after me. These are six things. The Lord hates these things. God hates these things more than he hates them. Homosexuality. Uh, oh, wait, no. No, that's not there. That, that's just something we put there, right? It's like that's the, the worst ultimate thing. It's not there. It's a sin. These are the six things God hates. Haughty eyes. <laughs> the haughty eyes, not just that you're haughty, not that you're, that you're arrogant. It's in your eyes. You ever see those guys? Oh, that guy, he's so cocky, right? 
How do you say that? He didn't say anything. You could see it across the room. Look at him. What a proud peacock. I was, when I first read that, I was like, oops, uh-oh, I'm in trouble. Lying tongue. Anybody in this room ever not tell a lie? Don't, don't raise your hands. I don't, well, I don't want anybody to lie by not raising their hand. Lying tongues. And then we go, oh, whew, hands that shed innocent blood. I've never killed anybody, so, so I'm good. We love doing that, right? We love the buffet line. We'll just go to the one thing that we, I never killed anybody, so I'm okay. A heart that devises wicked plans. Oh, man. I remember sitting around a little circle with my buddies, literally devising wicked plans, devising how not to get caught, how not to get in trouble, what you do if you do get caught, deny, deny, de- don't you, devising wicked plans, a heart that does that, feet that run rapidly to evil. Whenever I see like this looting and all this stuff, it's like, what a, cr- look at this, isn't this wild? You see like this, it's not just like one target and one dude or two guys. They're like running around stealing. So it's like a whole bunch of people running around like crazy. And outside they're running around. It's like they're literally feet that run rapidly to evil. A false witness who utters lies. And one, we were talking about this the other day, one who spreads strife among brothers. You know what I like about that? We like to say no gossip, right? Because, you know, let's be honest, only women gossip. So, you know, the women, it's for you guys. God, like, nails us right here. Let's just be clear. Uh, One who spreads strife among brothers. Guys do it too. That's, That's the same thing when you say when you talk smack, right? When you rag on somebody, when you tease them, that's how we say it. Cause you know, we don't gossip. Um, well, these are the things that the Lord hates, which are the opposite of humility. They're the things that are arrogant and proud. God hates these things. He calls them an abomination. Not being humble is an abomination. See, this is why we fear God because God's standard is so high that when I look at my life to that and I go, I, I'm, uh-oh, I, I need to get on this because I don't match up and I fear the judge of the universe. Another characteristic is gentleness. The idea of gentleness is being tender and, and light, light-handed. So when, when there are things that go wrong, you're, you're, you're light-handed. Yeah, but that's just not my style. I'm a man. And I'm rugged and I'm tough and I bark. And when I say things, people do them. You, you're, you're called to walk in a manner worthy. Jesus could have done that to you. God could have come with just the iron fist. No, he came in humbleness and gentleness. This idea of having a sympathetic understanding that we navigate through this world and it's not that easy and there's a lot of temptation. And so he has in his gentleness, he grants us mercy. In his gentleness, he's merciful even with our consequences. Look, you guys know, you, you, you haven't gotten the consequences that you deserve. 
right? I mean, let's be honest. If you really got what you deserved, but God's been gentle. And so we display that. We reflect that back. Why? Because we walk like Jesus walks. Jesus was gentle. We're gentle. Jesus is merciful. We're merciful. We don't have to call people on every single little thing. Why? Because we display patience. The, 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 the real word for patience is long-suffering. I don't even like to say patience anymore because patience is just like everybody says it. It just has no meaning. What I like to say is suffer long. I like to say it to myself. You need to suffer long. Suffer for a long time. Keep on suffering, not keep on trucking. Keep on suffering. Right? You see this thing happening. It's getting under your skin. Yeah, do this for a long time. See, see how it changes? It's like patience isn't like, well, I could be patient for like two minutes, two seconds. For two seconds, I'm the most patient person you'll ever know. And then it gets crazy. Know anybody like that? No mirrors. Patience, suffer long. Be composed. Have composure. Have self-restraint. That's part of the patience. Why? Because like 1 Corinthians says, what is love? Love endures. Love endures. It's patient. Starts out with love is patient and kind and it ends with endures. It's like it all comes back full circle, right? That's what, what the definition of love is. It has this thing called forbearance for for showing forbearance. It's a, it's a, it's a toleration. Do we, do we tolerate one another? I mean, do you hold your spouse, your, your child to a standard? That's just like, it, you, you can't keep that standard. And I'm not talking about trying to be holy and righteousness. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about just, we, we just don't tolerate any of their mistakes. We don't tolerate their youthfulness. They don't, they don't tolerate that. You know what? Your marriage is going to be different in the first year, the fifth year, the 10th year, the 15th year, the 20th year, the 30th year. If there's like a little pie chart, I would love to like analyze on a, like a pie chart, like people that have been married, you know, for 40 years and like have had these awesome marriages. And then, you know, what, what you think is that their marriage start here and it was young and budding and, you know, innocent and beautiful. And it just goes, you know, straight up. There were no dips in their marriage. There were no valleys. Everybody has them. You know why? Because you're all sinners. We, we're sinners. There's two sinners. It's, it's like the octagon. You're putting two sinners in the octagon. You, mom and dad are at home now, and you got these two you know, young kids, and they're all alone, and they're in the octagon, and they're both sinners, and guess what? They're going to have to work some things out. For some people, it takes two months. For some people, it takes two years. For some people, it takes 20 years. But we work this up. We have forbearance. We tolerate. We apply the patience, suffering long. And we do this without anger and without emotion. This is how we apply the characteristics of walking in a manner worthy of calling. No, it's not easy to be humble and gentle and patient and forbearing. But this is what we do. We're called to be peacemakers. Peacemakers. On the Sermon on the Mount in, in, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. 
I didn't grow up believing in peacemaking. I grew up in vengeance is mine. Right? A problem happens, you deal with it. You all take care of it right now. I don't need to wait for anybody. Call that street justice, right? No, the Bible is one of the first things in the Bible that really like, when I looked at that, I was like, I don't know about this Christianity stuff. Is peacemaking? No, I don't have to like keep peace. I have to make peace. Like I have to be a part of it. I don't like that at all. I have to quiet the noise, right? The turmoil. You're supposed to be the one in there that goes in there and de-escalates the room. This is why we have to be very, 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 very careful with what we let our, our little minds hear and listen to. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. Remember that little song for the kids? That's for us grown-ups. And one of the things that we like to do is we like to listen on the radio or TV or whatever to people we agree with, to the hotheads who have no interest in making peace, but only interest in getting everybody riled up and excited and creating turmoil and strife because that gets in it. That's not what we're called for. And I have to, as I'm listening to things and, and I was listening to this, uh, it was a, as a new sports talk show and everybody was yelling. I was like, geez, relax. It's a sports. It's just like, you know, everybody was like ultimate amped. And it's like, whoa, this is just like too heavy. Uh, we need some quietness. We need some peace. We don't want war. We want the opposite of war. And so in our application of unity, we, we title yourself, put on your, your mind as like a frontal on your forehead. I'm the peacemaker. I'm the peacemaker in this outfit. If, if just one of you in your household, like said, I'm going to be the peacemaker, your whole household will be blessed. We've got, you know, seven people in our, in our little family. And when we're all in there together and, you know, as you know, things can get crazy at times, believe it or not. And it's interesting because, you know, we have a we had a couple in there that really desired peace and it didn't matter how old they were that they, they could de-escalate the whole room. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, finally, the third application of unity is found in the cause of walking in a matter of the word. And what's the cause? Verse four, the cause is Jesus. The, the, he's the cause. And so there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Look, there's no independent like Christianity. I'm just going to do it my way. I'll do it my way. I wish I could sing. I only did that because Susan wasn't here. Um, it's funny, all the little things that we do when <laughs> it's like, so we don't shave, we sing, we course, she caught me not shaving and made me shave. But anyway, there's no independence in Christianity. We, if we're going to be united together, it's not united over my way, my independent way. It's found in, in the cause. The cause of walking in the world is Jesus. He, he, he's who 
who, who died on the cross, who paid the price for sin. There's no other way. There's no other way. Don't try to scheme up another way. You know, that's why like all the new books, oh, there's a new book that's out. This is really going to show you how to live the ultimate Christian faith. I thought the Bible did that. I guess I, you know, when, when you nail down, let's say Ephesians, it's got six chapters, huge book. When, when you nail this one down and got that locked down, well, then tell me about the latest, greatest book. Because I'm still working on being humble and gentle and patient and forbearing and peacemaking. I'm still working on that stuff. Um, but we, we need to understand that, look, God is exclusive to his way. You, 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 you got to get that in your mind. So there's only one body. Remember the body of Christ, right? is the family of the, the Christian family. There's only one, only one, only one, only one. All these other religions aren't a part of the one body. There's only one body. There's only one spirit, the Holy Spirit, not mythical, mystical things. And, you know, say, no, there's one spirit, the Holy Spirit. There's only one hope. The hope that is found in Christ, the, the hope that is found in the scriptures our living hope, the hope to spend eternity in heaven with God, with each other, right? That's the only hope. There's no, no other, well, there's a different third tier level thing. No, there's only one. There's only one Lord. There's only one Lord, the great Shema, Deuteronomy 6. The Lord our God is one beside him. There is no other. There are no other gods. There are no other lords. Lord is king. Lord is master. That's who we follow. That's who we bow the knee before the throne. My Lord, my master, what is thy bidding? There's only one. There's only then one faith. There's only one pathway to Christianity, to eternity in heaven, and that's through the scriptures. There's only one. There's only one baptism. Right. Well, what about, the, you know, there's, can we do it this way? Can we do it that way? Do we have to do it? We don't need to do it. What about adding other than, no, there's only one. Okay. This was just a, an example of a ceremonial process. There's only one God and father who is over all. There's no universal. There's no, no unified, pluralistic unity, ecumenicalism. There's always this call to ecumenicalism, ecumenical. Yeah. You know what? I wish all the churches in the Valley, I wish we all believed in the same thing so that we would all spend an eternity in heaven, but we do not trust me. I've been to the meetings. The guy that they don't want in there first and foremost is the guy who wants to adhere to the Bible. They want to be united. They want to gather. They want to pray together as long as we all believe in this melting pot of beliefs, which isn't what the Bible teaches or they add to it. They, they do not want a Bible only believing group. They don't want that. So I'm out because the only thing I want to be united around is God's word. 
That's the only thing I can be united around. Applying it, being consistent in walking. So I'm not looking towards ways to eliminate being humble, to eliminate being gentle, to eliminate being patient. No, I'm looking for accountability on how to do this. Um, I'm looking for developing the characteristics of 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 being humble and gentle and a peacemaker and forbearance. I, I'm looking for ways to to be complete in Christ, not to figure out ways to take it out. Um, I'm looking for ways to actually apply this. Why? Because there is no independent Christianity. There's only one way. There's only one way. The the term Christian is is just the I A N means son of. It it is the ultimate identification. We're not just fans. We're not just fanatics. We're family. You go to other countries. I grew up in Glendale. And we had a lot of Armenians. Couldn't ever figure it out. These Armenians had like these crazy long names. And at the end of every single name was IAN. Agabaga Dervashian. Nika Kerbashian. Everything was IAN. INA. It's like at a certain point, what's the deal with the IAN? It means son of. So they were always identifying with being the son of somebody. We're Christians. We're the sons, the daughters of Jesus Christ. That's who we follow. That's who te- whose team we're on. And so when we think about unity, that's what the Bible's talking about. The Bible's not talking about just bring into, in, in, into the group all your different beliefs, all your different views, all your different opinions, all your different thoughts. No. No, we, we want God's view. God is going to challenge us to do things that seem odd to us, that seem countercultural. Yes, we are countercultural because we want to be biblical. And the culture is always going to rebel against Christ in the Bible. Because it doesn't want to believe and follow Christ in the Bible. It shouldn't be that complicated. I don't know why Christians struggle with this. The world clearly knows it. Stay out. Keep out. We don't want you a part of our schools. We don't want you a part of our politics. We don't want you a part of our system. Get away. Is is that not what they're saying? And what do Christians say? Gee, I, I wish we could bring them in. I wish they could be involved with us. Are, are we insane? Yeah. It's our desire because we don't want to see people die and go to hell. I, I get that. It's our desire to be united because we keep seeing this word united. But we have to rally around and be united around the right thing. And that's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for...